Hey everyone, this is Kurt Mercadante. And whether you're a first time listener or a long time listener, I want to thank you for choosing to spend your time with me and our guests here on Freedom Mindset Radio. You know, now more than ever in this turbulent time, it's important to share and spread our message of freedom and fulfillment around the globe. So if you get value from this podcast, I have a favor to ask. If you could go wherever you listen to this podcast and leave us a positive rating and review, that helps us carry our message further around the globe. And if you wouldn't mind, Post a link to this podcast on your Facebook page. Share it on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, wherever you're at on social media. I want to thank you for helping us take our message to those people around the globe who truly need it. And I want to thank you for being a loyal listener. Thank you. So if you're going to base an entire school system on the common denominator, you're literally like planning to have a dumb population to create sheep and, and dumb people. It's not a popular viewpoint. What's coming out of my mouth right now, I just have to say it's not really popular, but it is what most people believe. What does the word freedom mean to you? Only you can define it in your life and only you can decide to build the life of freedom and fulfillment you deserve. This is Freedom Mindset Radio. I'm your host, Kurt Mercadante, and we're grateful you're here. And welcome. We are live here on the Freedom Media Network with another incredible interview. When we return in a moment, we're going to discuss education, race, educational freedom, and probably more when we return in a second. Well, our guest today is Chris Stewart. He's an activist, public school parent, writer, speaker, essayist, and education activist. His focus is on increasing educational freedom and achieving justice for marginalized students, families, and communities. He's the CEO of Brightbeam, a nonprofit network of education activists demanding a better education and brighter future for every child. It includes news sites such as Education Post, Citizen Education, Project Forever Free, and more than 20 other local and regional sites that spotlight education issues nationally. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for the the great introduction too. Appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate Yeah. Well, you know, it's, I, I do a little bit of research at least. Uh, it, now, if you follow Chris on, on social media, you might know him better as Citizen Stewart. Um, we previously on this show had Corey DeAngelis. We talked about educational freedom. I came to discover you, Chris, through Corey and his writings and, and Twitter and retweets. And Corey, uh, Corey is is uh, if, nothing if not aggressive mm-hmm. <laughs> on Twitter. Least, yeah, no, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but no. the first first question I always ask my guests is that word freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to you? I mean. You know, when you think about uh, all the ways in which we have social relationships that really are external to us, that make us do things that, that you know, have compulsory natures to them, like school and, and politics and, you know, the, our relationship with uh, the police and with governmental institutions, there's a lot of things in which we give up what we call freedom for there to be a general uh, safety in society, right? So, but we go too far with that. So what freedom to me means actually uh, in a lot of cases is reclaiming the extent to which you're autonomous, reclaiming to the extent to which you make your own decisions. You can decide what's best for you, for your family, for your kids um, without external bodies getting in the way of you uh, making your own decisions. Interesting. I love that. And it's always interesting when I ask that question, you know, people have um, various and sundry uh, definitions as it fits 
themselves. Some are economic, some are political, some are socioeconomic, some are a little more uh, existential, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But there's always a common a common theme there. Um, when it comes to education and educational freedom mm-hmm. and the issue of school choice, mm-hmm. it's something, and I used to work in Republican politics and I got out of it uh, several years ago. And right now, I guess, I guess you could call me a small L libertarian and mm-hmm. I'm more of a pox on, on all their houses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the issue of school choice was always one that was, as it was told, or seen, this is a partisan topic. This mm-hmm. is Republicans are for school choice. Democrats are against school choice. And it's all about, you know, people wanting to privatize schools and make money off schools and do this and 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 keep people down and put these schools out of business. Is that the truth? I don't think it's true in a couple of ways. One, uh, Republicans aren't all for school choice. So I'll just start there. I mean, as a matter of fact, one of the biggest reversals of fortunes for school choice as an entity is that uh, many of the Republicans that were strongest on it have gone really soft on it over time. And, you know, um, corporate mainstream Republicans are just as beholden to Republican superintendents of the monopoly school system as anybody else is. So you go and you try and pass school reform. I mean, like, listen, West Virginia, you know, has a very kind of uh, right right of center ethos in a lot of places, but trying to get something passed around school choice became like a quick hurdle, even for, you know, Republican folks. Um, so that's one way in which I don't think that it's right. But the other, you know, the, the, the deeper problem, I think, is when we talk about it in terms of school choice, rather than just talking about it in terms of what should parents be able to decide for their kids. And I just like to make the pitch to anybody in whatever party you're in. If you're a parent, you're the president of your child's educational um, future, right? Um, by law, you are responsible for your child. So, um, um, the idea that you wouldn't be the one who decides where, when, how, and what your children learn, that there would be anybody in between you and that decision should be nonpartisan. Everybody should be able to say like, listen, there should be some degree of parental sovereignty in the United States period, right? Like, you know, I have a kid, you have a kid, parental sovereignty until the point where it's a problem, like until like, you know, we're hurting kids or something like that. But just in general, like school choice to me is, is even just a weird term. Like, why would we even argue about it? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, what's there to argue about? <laughs> it's it, yeah. and full, dis- not full disclosure. I mean, I, uh, my wife and I, we homeschool our four kids and have for thir- our oldest is 14 now. So we've done it yeah. since the beginning. Um, and so we're very in tune with it. And we used to live in Illinois, a, mm-hmm. a, a state which has very low uh, regulations for homeschoolers mm-hmm. on paper. Mm-hmm. Yet there is uh, Illinois is a is a strong teachers union state and they don't like competition. And so I remember sitting in these legislative hearings where they had truant officers and talking about what is a what is a, a capable uh, homeschooling household look like. And he was saying things that had nothing to do with reality. And now we live in South Carolina where there are more regulations, but which mm-hmm. it's just it, it's just more accepted uh uh, all the um, uh, museums here have programs and, and things to do, and, and it's different. Um, mm-hmm. I, you talk about West Virginian school choice. It's interesting because in Illinois, as the kind of narrative went, it was um, it was a it was along racial lines. Mm-hmm. Black people did not want school choice because they would be hurt by it. 
Mm-hmm. And it was it was white people pushing on it. But when you went out into the suburbs or racial or uh, or rural America, you learned that no, uh, in many cases, a, a lot of the uh, white folks and middle class people, some of them very liberal, didn't want school choice for fear that what black kids were going to come into their neighborhoods. Well, if you look at the state of um, Massachusetts, for instance, when there was a, a, a bill two or three years ago to lift the cap on the number of charter schools that they could have, and they, they, 12, to increase the number by 12 a year, that that's a t- for the entire state of Massachusetts. And the way that that was torpedoed wasn't because of urban people of color or black folks who actually wanted it. The way that it was torpedoed was by uh, teachers unions knocking on doors all throughout the state telling white people that if you allow this to go through, it'll take money. When those kids leave the system, it'll take money out of the system and that'll affect your kids. So it was sold on, you don't need a charter school, but if you let those people out of the system, they'll leave with their money. They'll take their money with them and it'll make your school districts, um, your awesome, lovely school districts that you love so much lose money and it'll hurt your kid. So in that way, it was, you know, it's just really bizarre how the racial politics can get. I say this about, you know, listen, uh, maybe Democrat um, um, black folks and people of color fight school choice programs, but you open a school choice program in any urban area in the United States and it fills up and it gets a waiting list. So that tells you what people actually want. There's a difference between what people say and what they do. There's definitely a difference between what people's politicians say and what the people themselves do, because open up a charter school gets a waiting list. Open up a school choice program gets a waiting list, right? Like people vote with their feet. We opened up uh, charter schools in Minneapolis. People hemmed and haw in the district lost 15,000 kids right off the bat, mostly kids of color, right? Interesting. You know, so so people of color who are not politicians are not uh, trying to run for some democratic office and get the teachers union endorsement actually do something very different than what their politicians do. I kind of have a a, a question uh, that hopefully it comes out right in its regards to segregation and de facto segregation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because in in a city like Chicago, I grew up outside of Chicago Mm -hmm. um, is de facto extremely segregated. Mm-hmm. We moved down here to Charleston where it's much more integrated. Really? And wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. It, we're on, we're on John's Island. I mean, John's Island yeah. used, I mean, used to have slaves. And from what I understand, there's some places that the developers can't get to because there's no records of, of the land wow. and, and everything. And, um, you know, my wife grew up in rural Illinois mm-hmm. and it was a new world for her. I mean, just in your everyday living. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so some of our schools are, are becoming a little more, are, are becoming a little more integrated, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole issue of housing costs and people moving in and tech people moving in and the new people saying we want to keep people out. Mm-hmm. So they put bans on multifamily housing. And of course, then that forces people to move out. And so that re- results in more segregation. However, and I've seen you uh, talk about this and, and with the recent, uh, there were n- a number of recent marches here in the wake of the George Floyd killing, mm-hmm. one of them in North uh, Charleston. And they issued a list of, um, they weren't demands, they, maybe they call them demands, I don't know what it was, but it was a whole list. And it's interesting, I looked at the list, I was like, 
of 10 of them, I don't know, seven or eight seemed pretty reasonable. Mm-hmm. You know, a number of them had to do with police and everything. And of course, what's reasonable to me might seem completely unreasonable to other people. But one of them was more Afrocentric schools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it went along that. And my first thought was that would require school choice, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I guess my question is, is segregation of schools a good thing? Is it a harmful thing? Uh, or is it somewhere in the middle where that's what school choice is? Listen, if you want to have, uh, I had Michael Strong. Do you know Michael Strong from um, the Academy of Thought and Industry? Uh, no. He started these academies and he said, listen, I want to have radical school choice. If you mm-hmm. want the socialist school, go to the socialist school. If you want the black mm-hmm. school, go to the black school. If you want the Catholic school, go to the Catholic school. So where where does that lie? I mean, I think it's an interesting question to answer from your individual perspective or from a social or a political or a social policy perspective. In the big picture, people say that segregated schools hurt um, hurt us because kids don't grow up together. They don't learn together. Part of the creating of the fabric of America is by making everybody go through this one meat grinder where they come out the other side. Like, I mean, I don't know if you remember the, the you know, Pink Floyd's The Wall where all the kids are marching faceless towards the meat grinder and they come out the other end sausage, right? And if you look at people like Diane Ravitch, they talk about schools in terms of the purpose of schools is to take all these different kinds of people and put put them through one doorway so that they come out the other end, good little citizens and whatever. So that's kind of, I think, the, the, the sociological, political argument for it. But as an individual, I mean, <laughs> um, no, <laughs> right? Like, like you know, um, I don't think we're all meant to go to school together. It's not a popular thing to say, but I, actually my kids, let me just change this. My kids aren't meant to go to school with everybody. Right. So you can do with what you want with your family. And I just hope that we live in a country that's big enough for your home values and my home values to find a place where our kids can be educated um, and that mine that yours don't interrupt mine. Right. I don't think we can do that by always pushing for a common school system where everybody's assigned and they have to go through the same doors and everybody gets the same thing. And they're all dumbed down to some sort of common denominator, which is always stupid. The, the most common do- denominator ever is never intelligence. Intelligence is never the common denominator of anything. Right. It's right. always stupidity, like utter stupidity. So if you're going to base an entire school system on the common denominator, you're literally like planning to have a dumb population to create sheep and, and dumb people. It's not a popular viewpoint. What's coming out of my mouth right now, I just have to say, is not really popular, but it is what most people believe, right? It's the reason why yeah. people strategically buy houses here or buy them there, even as they're saying, oh my God, I love public schools. I love public schools. And you say, well, tell me how you bought your house. Well, you know, I bought it in a way that I would be in the right kind of public schools, you know, strategically. Mm-hmm. Um, segregation is what allows you to have the same color socks every day. Right. Discrimination and segregation is in some ways a neutral concept. However, as a libertarian, I actually do not. I will never say that my government should be able to assign me to schools on the basis of race mm-hmm. and assign me to inferior conditions. So the original battles around segregation were the state telling people who are black, you cannot go into building A or building B that the entire public pays for because you are black. That will always be wrong. That will always be wrong to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that that same thing applies to uh, not just racial issues, but the reason why, say, a homeschooling or school choice works in the first place. Right. It's like your kids aren't going to be socialized and they're not going to be able to deal with other kids. Well, yet so, You see so these kids <laughs> coming out of 
public schools not being able to deal with other kids, right? It's not, it's not as if the public schools create completely unracist people. If that was the case, we wouldn't have many of the problems that exist today. No. And it's not like they, they uh, create socialized people either. Like when you talk about, Oh, your homeschool kid, how will they be socialized? Listen, we're in the middle of COVID right now. My kids have been at home for months now. They are so much better behaved now that we don't throw them into the lion's jungle every day. Right. I've noticed my wife and I can both tell you immediate change in attitude of our kids now that they're not going somewhere every day that's like the Wild West. And we are in public schools that are considered generally kind of okay, like pretty good. Yeah. And still the social kind of, the social impact on the kids isn't all positive socialization. So, yeah, exactly. So back on June 5th, we, we mentioned Corey. So yeah. Corey Angels, he, he, he sent a tweet that said government, he, it was a, a, a graphic or it was a little video and it showed a map and it showed government school attendance zones that matched the discriminatory redlining from the 1930s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. retweeted it and said, public schools are straight up racist by design. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, like you start with what Corey just basically tweeted out in that tweet was that they're based upon redlining. So educational redlining goes all the way back to God knows how when, and it still persists today. And even very liberal cities and liberal places still actually harbor very racist patterns of how they gerrymander school districts to make sure that the good liberal people who want to be all be together and still claim public school participation all just weirdly end up in the same schools. And those schools all end up with the teachers that are higher rated and they end up with all the programs in very liberal cities. My, my organization put out a report called the shame of progressive cities in that report that we put out the shame of progressive cities. We, we proved that, Uh, progressive cities actually have worse gaps in achievement than conservative cities. So we took a report from MIT that had the top 50 cities and we broke down the top 12 of each, the the top 12 progressive ones and the top 12 uh, conservative cities. And we looked at what they had going on in terms of outcomes. And it just was uh, very clear that the more progressive city was the liberal uh, government of a city was the worst outcomes that they had with people of color, right? You have to ask yourself, how can that happen in a city where the school district is top to bottom, very liberal? The leadership is all re- really liberal. They have way more resources than everybody else does. Cause these are cities that are like big cities with booming economies, like with lots of money. Right. And they're still putting out like San Francisco uh, um, was a great example one of the wealthiest counties, not in America, but in the world, right? With some of the best or some of the worst performing um, numbers for black students, especially black males in the state of California, right? So how does San Francisco County with all of its money, liberal politics and everything else still find it incapable of teaching um, black kids how to read when not far away, a much poorer district is, is, is cleaning their clock, right? Wow. Uh, the only Pat Wolf from um, University of Arkansas is the one who, who led the shop on the research. The biggest predictor of that was progressive government. Um, Interesting. Progressive municipal government was the number one predictor of that problem that I'm describing right now. Um, I don't know what you call it, but it does have to, if you don't care about how that looks and you don't study the systems, you have to call that racism. You have to, it's having a racial outcome that is based upon the way that you're structuring your systems. First about 
how you enroll in schools, what schools you go to, what is afforded to you, even things that are, are softer research around like the very low expectations that you have for kids at the moment that you put lots of kids of color in one building. The expectations of them just goes down. I'm not saying that. That's what research says. Like research studies over and over and over again tell you that. that that's institutional racism. Interesting. Interesting. What kind of, what kind of outcomes were you measuring? So we're looking at graduation, uh, reading proficiency, math proficiency. I think we maybe had one or two other things, but it was really academic outcomes is really what we were trying to figure out is. And, and we started with that one example as a reason for even investigating. How is it that you can't get kids reading on grade level and math at grade level in a city like San Francisco that has a ton of money? All of the con social conditions are supposed to be right. Progressive city, college-educated city, lots of very progressive people. Every Everybody from dog catcher up to the mayor in those cities are considered to be very progressive. And you have all the progressive bells and whistles. And the, the kids, when it comes to academic outcomes, are amongst the worst in the, in the state. When the, when the George Floyd protests began and everything started going, and, um, and certainly when the riots began, and, and that started happening, you know, I, I turned to my wife and I said, this is exactly what they want to happen. She said, who's mm -hmm. they? I said, the people in power uh, mm -hmm. on both sides, right? Because mm -hmm. one side can come in and say law and order, law and order. Yeah. And the other side can, can say what they say, but, and, and then that, that enables them to put people in categories mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. throw the same thing. I mean, neither side has had an original thought in 150 <laughs> years, right? It's a fund yeah. these community programs, do this, yeah. do that, do the other thing, you know? Um, but there's a lot of talk about systemic racism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you look at the school system and mm -hmm. what you're saying is, um, who was it? Well, a number of people have said it in the wake of what happened. They said, well, this shows the need to go out, turn out and vote. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're Democratic politicians. This shows the need to, to turn out and vote. And, and be clear, we've both kind of criticized both parties, right? No one's, mm -hmm. no one's mm -hmm. clean here. But when you look at, and you just said, the progressive cities, and if you're looking at systemic racism, who controls the systems? And so then who are you urging them to vote for? I mean, in Minneapolis, mm -hmm. where the, if you're going to talk about the police uh, situation there, does do the Democrats want people to flip their votes? <laughs> and I'm not saying that would make it any better. Yeah, they probably um, want people to vote for better Democrats, right? That's probably what they're thinking. They're not thinking yeah. of like voting for, I mean, listen, I ran for office in Minneapolis as uh, evangelical urban Christian and, and won my seat. But I can guarantee you, I ran, I started my run as a libertarian. I ended my run as a, as a Democrat. I can guarantee you nobody's going to get elected to anything in Minneapolis as, a Dem, as, as anything other than a Democrat. However, except for we have one one Green Party person who, who's won. Um, however, they're probably they probably are asking for a different type of Democrat. Like right now, we have institutional Democrats. They're probably looking for more radical or, or wild-eyed Democrats to take their place. Um, I get where you're going with the question. I'm just I'm just thinking that like um, the call to vote. You know, oh maybe we should get out and vote right now. I mean, I always love the way that these issues are framed. Bottom line for me is there shouldn't be a person with a libertarian bone in their in their body who needs to have it explained to them why why a guy, an agent of the state, putting his knee in the back of a guy's neck and killing him in the middle of a street in broad daylight should be a problem. So if that right. requires anybody to be partisan in any way, shape, or form, you know, I fear to God that the state of libertarians in the United States is the problem.
No, no, I, I 100% agree. It's just, I, I was getting more at the, the uh, I guess, the, the kind of misnomer that the, when we talk about systemic racism, that it is somehow a purely partisan issue. Mm-hmm. Um, because, listen, I, full, I fully don't expect, nor would I ask, the black community to go out and vote for Trump, right? And vote for Republican. And I don't earn, urge anyone to do that. I, I was about, to, you know? say, I was I, about to say, I hope you don't urge anybody to do that. Yeah, yeah. But by the same token, um, when you look at it, especially when you look at the outcomes that you measured in your research, yeah. Yeah. Um, is, do you think, and, and, and for people watching and listening, you know, there are different factions within different political parties mm-hmm. and there are, you know, uh, in either party, there's kind of more transactional type people and there's more wild eyed true believers. We're going to go and, and do this. Um, is it, is it a, is it because uh, progressives are more likely to align with the teachers unions? Is that I think, uh, perhaps yeah. why? I think on education, you know, definitely progressives are more likely to align with teachers unions. Um, I think Republicans are equally as likely to align with um, school board associations, superintendent associations. I mean, when you look across the country and you see all that red space in between blue cities, all of that red space has superintendents, too, by the way. And the yeah. superintendent in those areas is one of the most kind of influential group of people there. So when they go up to my re- Republican senator, state senator, uh, and talk to him and say, we need to defend the monopoly in some way, shape, or form, they find a, an eager ear in their Republicans as much as anybody else does. So um, so the teachers unions have the Democrats. The other unions have, um, have Republicans, including oh, sure. the police officers union. I mean, oh like, yeah, yeah. I was talking specifically on education. So, yeah, the police yeah. union. Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. So every union they've kind of divided and conquered the world. The unions have, you know, firefighters, law enforcement. They've got a little bit more on the Republican side. Teachers have definitely got a little bit more on the not a little bit. They've got whole. <laughs> they are a part of the Democratic Party, right? Like they. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. They're at every cookout. Um, um, and then you know the, the other unions, public employees unions. I, I, as a school board member in Minneapolis, we had sixteen bargaining units. Um, sixteen in a school district with only thirty-three thousand kids. We had one bargaining unit that only had one guy in it. One guy. He was he was a bargaining unit by himself. He was the they, they were the guys that fixed the instruments, the the violins, and he had been he had been there since the seventies, you know, and like there had been more of them, and they had mostly all been laid off. But as a board member, I fell out. I was like, so we are still negotiating a contract with one guy in a bargaining unit, right? <laughs> <laughs> How crazy is that? But sixteen, get your mind around that. Any change we wanted to make, we had to make sure that we could get it through sixteen bargaining units. It's amazing. And, and, you know, many of the same issues and problems we're talking about now in regards to police seem to me apply also to teachers unions. And um, I remember, was this 12 years ago, 10 years ago, waiting for Superman when that movie came out and the inability to fire not just not just bad teachers, but 
harmful teachers. I mean, these were mm-hmm. teachers who, uh, what were they called? Rubber rooms, right? Where they would put them in these rooms and have to pay them. I mean, these were teachers who molested kids, right? Yeah. Who, who did these yeah. things to them. And now we're talking about the same thing with police. We're talking about a, a number of these issues. Um, it, when that movie came out, it was such a powerful movie. I believe President Obama even came out mm-hmm. before, before he ran for president and embraced it, Oprah. Mm-hmm. And then he ran for president and he and everyone around him and uh, the filmmaker distanced themselves from it. And to me, it, it, it was so sad because, and, and like you said, the Republicans too distanced themselves. I mean, you saw Bush. What we're going to do for education is just throw more federal money at it. We're just going to throw more money at the problem. Are we so far down? I mean, what's it going to take for this thing to just crumble so we can rebuild it? Um, or is that is that not what it's going to take? Is it going to take entrepreneurial alternatives around to just build until people flock to those? Um, it's a very hard question to answer because I think really the, the, the optimal thing that could happen is for people to stop, start opting out like your family has done for those who can, because, you know, school systems and school districts, all of their power runs on per pupil income. And if they don't have pupils, that actually makes all the difference in the world. As long as they have pupils, they're going to keep training people to have special affection for a public education who are going to turn out and they're going to grow up and they're going to vote for people who can just ring the public education bell. And it's just going to be a Pavlovian thing. And every couple of years, they're going to put more money into it. And it could be Republican or Democrat as a president. It could be anything except for a libertarian as a president. And that bell is going to be rung on all sides of the fence and it's going to work just like clockwork because you're allowing the state to develop the intellect of the country right and you don't think that the state is ever going to interrogate itself as it's teaching you right you don't think the state is going to tell you like hey here's how you think opposed to the state ever right so it's going to turn out a steady crop of new voters Dumb and dumber and dumber and dumber, generation after generation. It sounds terrible. It sounds terrible to say, but what do you expect? A system that you allow the system itself to have a monopoly on how you develop the intellect of the nation, right? I've had some conversations where I, with people where I've said, we're not even really having a conversation where, whether or not it's ethical for a government to have a monopoly on developing the citizens that it's going to have to con- develop, govern with their consent in the future, that might not even be ethical, right? How do you develop your own people that are going to be your own bosses at some point? How are you in charge of raising your bosses um, and, and having that be be ethical? The only place you can have that conversation is some college course somewhere, right? You, like public isn't even ready for the conversation of it actually might not even be ethical for the government to have a monopoly on developing the intellect. So when you ask what's it going to take, yeah. I do believe that there's a growing movement. Like COVID is a huge interruption. Yeah. Like this pandemic right now is like the government has given you your kids back and said, hey, have at her. We, we got nothing for you right now. We got some crappy remote stuff we can give you, but everything else, man, you're on your own. Here's your kids. And for the first time, parents are like, damn, wait a second. Wait, this means we're in, like, we have kids? Like we're supposed to be, <laughs> what do we do now? Oh my God. We have infantilized parents to the point where they actually think this is a weird situation now. Like, yeah. I have to educate my kids at home? Oh, my God, what am I going to do? And it's like, well, maybe you're going to go back in time and figure out that that was always part of parenting in the first place. Hey, everyone, this is Kurt Mercadante, and I want to thank you for being a loyal listener to Freedom Mindset Radio. You know, in this chaotic time of 
coronavirus chaos, it's so important for people to have a process to define, create, and live their lives of freedom and fulfillment. I lay out just that process in my Amazon bestseller, Five Pillars of the Freedom Lifestyle. And in light of this turbulent time, I've dropped the Kindle price of my book to $4.50. That's a more than $2 drop in price. I do this because I truly believe that this is a process that will help those who need freedom and fulfillment now. Perhaps it's you. Perhaps you have spent the past five years, 10 years, 15 years trading away your freedom and fulfillment for a false sense of security and a toxic job and a lifestyle that doesn't fulfill you. And now you're realizing that security was an illusion and you want your freedom now. Go to fivepillarsoffreedom.com right now. There, you can get chapter one of my book absolutely free, and there's a link to purchase the book. As I said, we have dropped the price to $4.50 for the Kindle version of my book. I know the five pillars of the freedom lifestyle will help you define, create, and start living your freedom lifestyle now. Thanks again for being a listener. I wish you a day, a week, a year of freedom and abundance. That's interesting. I, and I've had, I, I believe you've had Carrie McDonald on you've on your yes, show. Um, yeah. I've had her on twice and uh, had her on a couple, couple weeks ago. And, and, and we talked about that as well. And, and you mentioned it even noticing your kids and how they behave differently since COVID. And we get a lot of people since this started reaching out and saying, Hey, do you have any tips? Do you have any tips? Well, we unschool. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. well, we could give you our tips, but you may not like it. Um, mm-hmm. And I had one person tell, well, that sounds like anarchy. Exactly. Like, well, no, it, I thought that I thought the same thing at first, but then yeah. it's amazing how they, 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 it, it's self-organizing. It's amazing mm-hmm. how it happens. Um, and a lot of, I think a lot of parents realize that, that I'm not going to try to recreate the school in my house but I think to your point of waking up, one of the ways they woke up is, my God, they waste a lot of time during that eight hours at school. Like, what are they doing? And someone, uh, I saw someone post, um, you know, tips for homeschooling. Don't try to recreate it at home because uh, of that eight hour day, most of it is crowd control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it sounds crowd uh, management. Yeah. Absolutely. And your kid is, is basically a, a rat in a rat race that entire day. Um, here's a bell. Here's a whistle. Here's the line you stand in. Here's how you get from class to class. None of that has to do with the educative process for your child. All that has to do with, we have too many kids in this building. We have to have a way of moving them throughout the building and throughout the day. That's orderly. It doesn't have to yeah. do with your individual yeah. kid. You get them at home and you strip away a lot of that. Maybe some real education can happen, but you know, listen, there's always going to be a population where it's going to be hard for people to do homeschooling. There's always going to be a population that are super dependent on government for everything, not just for Um, So I can see how, I can see how if you were really trying to organize a way for people to get out of this, it would seem daunting, but you have to do it. Like you just have to, even though there's no immediate answer, any clear answer, whatnot, it's not right the way that we order schools and structure learning right now, period, on the national level. And the schools aren't helping as much as people think that they are. Um, And let's just be real. uh, There's no time in this that we can see on the horizon where we're going to go back to the way that it was. 
Like, we're, you know, things are interrupted. Let's just put it that way for now. Yeah. And, and I mean, some of these, uh, I can't, is it Chicago? Some of these schools are, t- they're talking about canceling the fall. Uh, they're yeah. talking about, and then these videos that are coming out of the way school is going to look when it returns. I mean, it's like something out of Pink Floyd. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pink Floyd's the wall. <laughs> you know, when you talk about that and you talk about the government, that notion of, uh, and I've never thought of that, but uh, the government, I mean, I, I've often thought of the notion of, a dumbed down populace is easier mm-hmm. to control. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, and, and the, the funny thing is you said, maybe it's, maybe they would discuss that in a college course. I don't know that they would ever, mm-hmm. they'd probably ban that. They would burn the books in that college course. Right. Which is That's probably true. part of the problem because the people have undergone this, but mm-hmm. throughout COVID it's interesting because, you know, the ed- education uh, and free minds go, let's go beyond education for a moment. I mean, it's easier to be led down a path that might be harmful and not raise one iota of care about it. Mm-hmm. If the government tells you to do it, if that's what you've been taught to do. And exactly. yeah. I think we've seen that over the last several months in many cases of, Oh, well, that's the right thing to do. We have to go do it. And it's like, wait, what? You can't even mm-hmm. question it now. And if you question you get banned from YouTube, you get banned from Facebook. It, it is this Orwellian uh, piece. And and there's some people who are like, yes, please send it to me. Send send me into that vortex. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. wait a second. Well, and I just want to be clear here too, because we talked a little bit about partisanship. I just want to keep pushing the point that this is bipartisan. Yes. This, yeah. this is totally bipartisan. This is totally left to right. Everybody has their way of wanting to keep the status quo going. Um, the idea that the institutions are wrong or rigged um, bumps up against conservatives and liberals who want this romantic idea about, you know, these are our great institutions that teach people how to be great citizens of the greatest country of the, in the world ever who impart upon kids, the values of American values and all of that stuff, teach your kid how to be great patriots all of that. They don't think that the system itself is bad. They think about the way that the system, what the system teaches is the bad thing. So we can fight over how should we talk about the civil war, for instance. Yeah. And my thing is, why is the state teaching you what to think about the civil war? Right. right. Like, how does it even make sense? Like how, why is the state creating patriots? Right. Like how is, when did we put them in charge of patriot development? Um, right. Because all that says to me is people that know what song to sing to, when to dance, when to sit, when to move, whatever. And that's a great way to create a controlled people as well as anything else. Um, We have to get to the part where we figure out that all the state apparatuses, the courts, the police, the schools, all of them are part of a social control project. Um, And whereas the conservatives might love one part of that social control um, project and liberals might love love another one, freedom-loving people, which is the name of your your network, (laughs) freedom network people should be thinking about all the ways in which the state is attempting to use its apparatus to control you. Yeah, I mean, because if you look at it that way, aren't we actually more united? Because, all right, we've had a series of crises now. Now, I don't know what's going to happen. There was an asteroid supposed to hit us last week and Ebola and who knows what's going to happen. You know, aliens. Oh, we had the aliens, I think, in April. But, all right, if you're mad at Trump because there wasn't enough testing, guess what? Trump, Mm -hmm. whether you like it or not, Trump's government. If uh, you hate the lockdown and you're mad at 
whoever locked you down, you're mad at the government. Um, if you're mad at the police, which we, should, we all should be, uh, for what happened uh, to George Floyd, guess what? That policeman and the people, those policemen were members of government. The if you government. don't like this, right. everyone is now angry at the government, yet some people are going to push for more government. Well, actually, both sides are going to push for more government, right? Because like you said, it's for more sides. So the conservatives are going to say, give us more money and it's going to go into law and order and we're going to increase this and we're going to, you know, and the other side is, it will increase money for something else and whatever that is. So mm-hmm. we're actually more united than we think, yeah. um, which is well, why when people it, think yeah. about the defund question. When people are saying defund the police and the immediate conservative response is, oh my God, that sounds crazy. That's some Antifa type stuff. Oh my God, that's terrible. I'm thinking, like, did you pay attention to the fact that we have militarized police budgets over the period of a couple of decades? And this isn't your 1970s police department anymore. These are, like, full-on state-owned operations that can do, like, urban warfare on good citizens at any point. And because you don't like the citizens that they're using it against right now, shouldn't be a reason for you to be okay with it for everybody. (laughs) Like it'll come back and bite you at some point too. But, um, when you say everybody's united on their mad at government, I I, I say it a little different. Everybody's united about, they hate some part of government, but they love another part of it. They're united on, yeah, that's the bad part of government, but the good part is the guys over here that I like, you know, listen, if, I love librarians and probably firefighters. So there you go. If you're going to make me love a part of government, I'm going to love the people that come to your house and put the fires out and the people who have free and open access to information, the librarians. But other than that, you're not going to have me like signing on for teachers or police officers or any other groups that are used for social control. When, when, it, when, it looks at, when you look at the uh, social control and what's taught in schools, Mm-hmm. And the type of history that's taught in schools. I just interviewed uh, John Perkins. He wrote a book mm-hmm. called um, uh, "Confessions of an Economic Hitman." Mm-hmm. In I remember 2000s. this a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he yeah. he updated it with uh, "New Confessions of an Economic Hitman," and then he had touched the Jaguar. And he he the interesting part was he grew up his he was a, a, a an ancestor of uh, Thomas Paine, oh, wow. and he grew up in uh, New Hampshire, and he grew up with this this sense of patriotism, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, he kind mm-hmm. of got the NSA flirted with him, and they recruited him as patriotism. He joined the Peace Corps. He went over. Next thing, he finds himself working for this uh, this company, Maine, which uh, went into these third world countries, and uh, uh, we're going to increase your economic growth. Through mm. infrastructure programs. Well, mm-hmm, it mm-hmm, ended mm-hmm. up that he believes he was placed there by the NSA as kind of a subversive operative. As a chief economist, his job was to inflate estimates of economic growth. So then the president of that uh, country would sign on to World Bank or IMF or USAID money, which would then mm-hmm. flow to Charles Main or company, whatever the, the company was to get these contracts. And it was this kind of thing. And as it kept going, the more they came in debt with the World Bank loans and all these loans, that provided leverage for us to go into these places. Um, and then as he claimed, if they uh, said no, then they would send in the jackals, which mm-hmm. meant then they would start riots in your cities. They would do all these things, or as happened, I, I believe, to the, the the president of Ecuador and uh, Panama, your plane would go down in a fiery 
crash. Mm. Now, that's his story. I have I have no reason to believe many parts of that story are true. But his point was, listen, I had grown up with this sense of patriotism, and I am still a loyal American, but I have a recognition and awareness that we aren't perfect here in this country, mm-hmm. certainly. Mm-hmm. And we have some horrible scars on our country, obviously slavery, uh, things we've done in other countries. Uh, the list goes on and on. When it comes to education, right now we're in a, a situation where uh, w- with statues that are coming down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. here in Charleston, I mean, this was the port uh, for the slave trade. And we're building uh, African-American yeah. History Museum. Oh, wow. Yeah. We have a, um, uh, I think Bill Clinton has got, they, they've, they've raised, they're raising $40 million for it. Like, it's going to be a huge museum mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. on the uh, on the uh, the place that was Gadsden's Wharf, where most of the mm-hmm. ships came in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we also have some other things like that are, uh, I mean, we have statues. So they just announced the John C. Calhoun statues coming down and those types of things. Where do you think the fine line is? And, and I've always been weary of putting up statues of politicians as if they were gods, <laughs> right. you know, anyways, like, I don't, I don't think that, you know, it's yeah. like, I don't know. You know, it's a little bit weird. Um, But where's that fine line of, you know, YouTube has in their algorithmic cleansing of hate speech, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. took down videos posted by professors teaching about Hitler. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. where's that fine line of let's, let's not whitewash it for everyone. Let's not teach people what was right or wrong about certain things or their job isn't to create patriots. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. that's what they did with the Hitler youth. Right. Um, but where's that fine line between whitewashing history so that, because we don't like to talk about bad things Mm -hmm. because it, it almost seems like it could go the other way, whichever way you go, you could make yourself so patriotic and you never talk about the bad things, which is bad. But then if you erase all the bad things and don't talk about the bad things, it's like they never happened. And that's bad, too. At least at least the other way, you have the ability to find out that, oh, my goodness, we did all these bad things. You know? Yeah. I mean, the education process is supposed to help create people that are capable of thinking, not people that know things. I think we've we've mm-hmm. gotten into we've we've mixed up the the use of information as a way to create adherence to one polit- one way of thinking or other versus preparing people, arming people to be thinking people. The United States right now, in my estimation, the biggest fight that we're losing right now is actually thinking people have completely succumbed to hillbillies. Like we are a nation of dunces taking over every area of government and every area of leadership and the media. And w- dumbed down is not a nice enough phrase for actually what's taking place Thinking people are literally forfeiting their thinking and their ability to think and joining kind of partisan thought causes rather than doing the responsible thing, which is just 
give me any situation and I'll be able to think myself through it. I don't have to join team A or team B. I don't have to be Fox News or MSNBC. I don't have to be Republican or Democrat. I don't have to be left or right. I actually just have to think. I just have to be a thinking person. That's so unpopular now. So every piece of information we get, depending on who's bringing the information, really the real motive of any piece of information right now is to get you to join an intellectual cult on one side or the other and to stop being a thinking person, like a neutral thinking person, like a person just who's able to be given a set of facts and to be able to take that set of facts and come out with some sort of coherent, um, smart idea of understanding the context of it and what it should mean, rather than a person who's just like, oh my God, I'm an adherent now to this way of thinking. I'm either Antifa or, you know, I'm the, you know, Jews will not replace us people. I'm either Steve Bannon or I'm like, you know, somebody on the flip side, like Rachel, you know, from uh, um, MSNBC, you know, I'm not interested in joining a, a thought cult, but we're losing. The people who do want to be thinking people of America if anybody gets anything out of this conversation, I hope thinking people realize you're losing. <laughs> you're losing. You're losing the soul of your country. You're losing the intellect of your country. And you are giving it up to morons. You are ceding. You are forfeiting the nation to morons. And they are loving it. They're totally loving it. And there's no, like, without education, real education, and real information, and even shows like this and discussions, I, I think discussions and conversations and podcasts and whatever, it's all part of the educative process to sure. me. So when you and I talk, we should be talking as thinking people, right? If we really, really are patriots to our country, we should just, not as partisans, we should just be talking as thinking people. Uh, and now the very term virtue signaling has become a dirty word, but, <laughs> but it's, it's like yeah. everyone says, if you, if you haven't, this is the new thing, right? Mm -hmm. I see you. I see you. This is what they post. If you haven't posted on this, I see you, you know, and it's, and it's kind of like, well, okay. So now you have people posting things on social media who mm -hmm. haven't given a thought to race mm -hmm. in 35 years who now post it and then say, I see you if you're not posting, but there's, yeah. that's, and, and they think that's a conversation while at the same time, then, you know, there's, I, I think we should become as good with the art of conversation as cancellation because we want to cancel everyone before we even have that conversation. You, and by the way, conversation doesn't mean we agree. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, people want to cancel. Uh, well, I won't even give name. Well, people want to cancel cop Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. Yeah. But they also want to cancel Drew Brees. Now they want to obviously want to cancel for different reasons. Yeah. But what if we actually engaged in a conversation with each of them rather than, cause it is right now it's like, speak up. I mean, but look at the here. difference in what you just said though. Look at the difference. People want to uh, uh, cancel Kaepernick. They did. No, oh, right. People want to right, cancel. Yeah. People want to cancel Drew, Drew Brees. They couldn't. Right. There, there's something behind that. You need yeah. to be able to like, be able to be honest about those two things. Like how come I can cancel Kaepernick with his big ass afro, and I can't uh, with Drew, Drew Brees, who is a great addition to someone who grew up in New Orleans, a great addition to the to the Saints yeah, <laughs> legacy. Yeah. You know, got us out of years of being the Aints, but there is no other difference that that should award him the ability to be able to like 
um, have an opinion and the other one not have an opinion. That's the evidence no, of not absolutely. being able to think, you know, as a thinking yeah. society. When you tell somebody, oh my God, I can't believe you're standing to a song. And the song is supposed to have very specific meaning to all of us universally. And we're supposed to actually, the moment we hear it, you know, throw up some sort of sign or hold our heart or like, you know, curtsy or do something specific. You haven't really broken down that, that, what that means? You haven't really thought about what that actually means when you're talking about freedom and liberty and you're wearing t-shirts that say freedom and liberty and everything across them. And you're like, but you didn't stand to a song. You didn't like, you know, this piece of cloth. You didn't think this through well enough to say that, you know, it's a, it's a sacred, uh, it's a sacred, uh, um, piece of, of American history or whatever thinking people are losing on all sides they're losing. And I don't know any other way to say it. We're in trouble. We're in real trouble um, right now. And I think it's because um, the education system for many years was allowed to be unfettered, the the group that develops citizens, that creates citizens. And actually, you know, people who are homeschooled, people who have been through private schools, I know that you will find studies and research that if you look this through, they have less of a problem with what I'm saying right now. They have less of a, a problem of it being their problem. Right. When you are educated outside of the system, outside of the media system, people who turn off their TVs in their households for long periods of time and don't send their kids to school, to traditional common schools are much different Americans than the people who grow up on the media and public education. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's different than the people that you will, you will see. I mean, uh, Elizabeth Bartholet, the the Harvard professor who has called for a presumptive ban. I mean, she basically focuses on, well, she focuses on one, one realm of homeschoolers, which are Christian evangelical, Mm -hmm, but makes that out mm -hmm. to be a very bad thing. Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. and said, which is, which is one issue. Right. But then, then what she says, and then I see people like retweet, oh, well, homeschoolers are going to create a whole class of people who are are dumb and they, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. free thinking has also become known as conspiracy theorists, uh, mm-hmm. at least mm-hmm. what they say. Mm-hmm. The uh, one thing I, I would lo- I was going to say is, as it came through my head when you talked about Kaepernick and, and uh, Breeze, was it would be interesting if instead of Kaepernick, it was LeBron. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I guess you could make it back and say, well, why would they not touch LeBron? Is it because of skills or is it because of the money he makes for who? <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's a clip going around right now of Laura Ingram, um, yeah. talking about LeBron where she's telling him, shut up and dribble. Yeah. Stop having an opinion about things. No one cares what you have to say. And the very next part of the clip is her saying, well, Drew Brees has a right to say what he's saying. I right, mean, right. He's a good American. He's a person. He's a good American. Of course, he has a right to say what he's saying. The clip before was LeBron, sit down, shut up. And just dribble. Just dribble yeah. a ball. Um, and no one watching that station, good Lord, that God awful station, um, which is basically state run TV at this point nobody's ever going to call that out on their side and nobody's going to call it out when they watch CNN or MSNBC either, because those are thought cults. Those are meant to be thought cults. Um, and we're in trouble and people don't realize it. And, and when they're, when they're stuck in those cults, the interesting thing is that they lose any sense of empathy or feeling or thinking for, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I have no reason. I have no idea how that person could think that way. And it's like, well, but wait, 
they say the same thing about you, like relatives, mm -hmm. like people mm -hmm. in the same families. And it's, it's like, true. they won't, they won't invite themselves over. And it's like, wait, wait yeah. a second. Yeah. You won't. And then if, if for instance, um, let's say they're on the, on the left mm -hmm. and they say mm -hmm. thing is simply because I don't believe with it. I'm, I'm now an evil Trump supporter. I'm like, listen, time out. I'm a libertarian. I don't like any of y'all, but, yeah, but yeah, you know, yeah. but here, let's have a discussion. And so actually I had this question in my mind to talk, but, but this is a perfect time to talk about it. And it's the notion of being a free agent mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. being a free mm -hmm. thinker, because when you're put in that category, right, we own you. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there are certain categories on either side Part, when we're thinking partisanly in a partisan manner mm -hmm. that are owned by the parties that mm -hmm. they know no matter what you're, you're going to vote for him or her, you know, mm -hmm. you, I mean, you could talk about pro-life guns on the right. You could talk about, um, black, the black vote on the left, right. For instance, mm -hmm. uh, as one piece, free agents are dangerous to that system. Aren't they? Mm -hmm. Because, Mm -hmm. then they can't take you for granted, but mm -hmm. doesn't it take a real risk? Well, first of all, it takes organization, but then it takes a, a piece of risk because for instance, right now, if the black community stood up and said, listen, we want real change and yeah, we don't like Trump. We hate mm -hmm. Trump, mm -hmm. but you know what? We don't think the democratic party has done anything for us mm -hmm. and we're going to sit at home. Now, of course, what mm -hmm. they'd say is you're going to get another four years of Trump. They would have to be willing mm -hmm. to say, okay, we're playing the long game. Yeah. Um, and that probably wouldn't be in their best interest, right? I don't know. You know, I, um, I was thinking I mean, about let's just this. be real. Republicans yeah. hate black people. So, I mean, like, let's just be real. They, they don't care. They don't care about anybody. Like, like as much as we, we can hammer on Democrats for playing to their base, Republicans know that there's one group of people in the United States that they win constantly, which is white people, white men, white women of all economic strata. They don't win anybody else. So they win that group and they've been playing to that base for a long time now. And they've oh, painted themselves, they've painted themselves into a corner a little bit with that because now they've bought wholesale on anti-immigrant stuff, anti-brown people stuff, anti-black people stuff, anti-trans, anti-everything. And they have an entire state-run news organization that's dedicated to stoking that same group of people over and over and over again. And that makes it easier, I think, for the other side now to keep doing the same thing to their base and whatnot. I yeah, would like right. to say, you keep saying bipartisan, like, and I do want to say this because you said you're a little L libertarian. I do want to remind your, your viewers that there's such thing as a big L libertarian, which is the party of the libertarian party. And, you know, um, I still think it's a fairly safe place for real um, free thinking people. I do, I do think the libertarian party is what everybody thinks it is. It's not going to win tomorrow. It's going to win every office in America tomorrow. And it's, you know, but it's still a great place though, I think for free thinking people that want to exercise policy ideas from a middle, not even a middle, from a different perspective than the yeah. two parties. No, yeah. I, I, I agree. I agree. And, and I'm, I'm going to vote for Joe Jorgensen. Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not a hundred percent sure about Spike. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, yeah. but like you said, it, it's, uh, and some of the decisions they've made, and that's probably why I say small, L versus Big L, but I also I don't. It, I don't want to. I go back wanna... and forth. <laughs> I go back and forth. I might be a medium L, <laughs> you know, libertarian. So, so, so yes, it would. What I'm saying is that wouldn't be good for them yeah. in the short yeah. term, and they're not going to yeah. get anything from from the Republicans. Yeah, but would they have to do that? Um, I mean, it's 
I don't want to draw these types of, of parallels. Right. But yeah. when, when in the, in the wake of, of the George Floyd uh, killing, I said, my wife, I said, this is the same thing is going to happen. that always happens. Mm-hmm. Boom. And then it's going to, it's going to be the same old thing. If this happened, it would almost have to be this long game. I mean, you hear about, you know, I've had, I've had some guests on talking about China and their mm-hmm. game. And they're like, mm-hmm. they're willing to wait a hundred, they have a hundred year program that's to right. defeat America. That's and right. they're willing to that's put right. up. If you look at the Middle East mm-hmm. and the things that mm-hmm. we're dealing with them, oh, great. We've, we've vanquished them for like three years, mm-hmm. right? We have such mm-hmm. small timelines. We think in two-year right. timelines. But maybe in the long term, perhaps it would force change. I, I don't know. I, maybe there's... Maybe. Well, I mean, like, <laughs> listen, I, so what, what would you say to the, to the other side then? Like if white people want real change, what would make them leave the Republican Party? Because right now that is the that is the party of white people right now. It's the only group in America that 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 they win is white people, like of all levels, all education levels, right. all backgrounds and whatnot. So if white people really want change and they just keep putting all their like, you know, their eggs in the Republican basket, what would make them rethink that at some point and like switch parties? That's the exact same conversation about this. This what would black people do if they really wanted you know, change. I think all of them would actually really need to do what your show is about is to really start thinking through what does freedom mean? Right. Because like, both yeah. groups are being screwed out of freedom and they just don't realize how they're being screwed out of freedom. Um, and it's great that they fit into these discrete categories of race and gender and class and all that, because it's easier to divide them and they don't ever get together and understand, wait a second, we're all being screwed out of freedom. Yeah. We're all like losing our freedom by becoming dummies, partisan dummies. And we're being like, you know, like I can always, it's the thing in the Bible where, you know, they say that like, you can't, you, you can see the speck in your brother's eye, but you can't see the beam in your own. Um, that that's a biblical, you know, principle. It's the same with like, I can always tell you what my, my political opponents are getting wrong, but I can't tell you what my own people are getting wrong when it comes to freedom. That's the best thing for people that want to take your freedom is to have everybody practicing that particular problem. And then also in the middle of it, having an education system that just woefully uh, is inept when it comes to actually teaching you how to think. Right. Yeah. Here's one, you know, one point I'll put in, I know we're running close on time, but, but isn't it amazing that the entire time that you're in school in public school, that it never teaches you about the history of public schooling, the very thing that you're in, it never actually even teaches you the history of the thing that you're in that's teaching you, right? So if you put John Taylor Gatto in anybody's hand <laughs> post 12 years in school, they'll be like, this is the first time I've ever heard of any of this information about how this all went down and how it came to be. Isn't it ironic that you don't learn that in the institution that you're in for 12 years? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so interesting that, I mean, he was teacher of the year Met right. numerous times, right? That's right. And he That's came right. out and whistled. I mean, if you had a whistleblower like that in any other government institution, It'd it would rock the world. That's but right. No, it just, it, you know, he, he's he's famous to us, yeah. but um, conspiracy theorists to everyone else, right? I mean, it's just, and that's what happens, I think. And we're, it's happening in more and more areas, health, mm-hmm. um, uh, education. I mean, you see it happening now. I mean, anything it is, the, w- the word conspiracy theory, which I believe was created by the CIA is wow, now being, <laughs> is now being used about like everything. 
Yeah. You know, I, ra- I raised yeah. a question about this, about this new drug. And yeah, I, I've heard that the cholesterol drug, it's, it's bogus, but they want you to, you're just a conspiracy theorist. You're just a tinfoil yeah. hat wearer. It's like, wait, what? But I guess when you keep churning people out. That well, brand, listen, right? when everybody is crazy, it, it's not bad to be a theorist, <laughs> some sort, right? Like they're saying that, but they're saying it about you. You might take it as a badge of honor, like, oh, you're saying I'm not like everybody else. Okay, I got it. But I mean, you know, listen, you you did this show, and I think first of all, I think this is is a great conversation, and we obviously are aligned and different on some points, and everybody is. That's just the way of the world. That's the way it works, and I'm I'm okay with that. When it comes to education, and you know, Gatto is a great place to get back to always because there's just undeniable undeniable information in there that changes the way people think about this institution once you read it once you know it it's hard to unknow it but the thing that i think it does most it it it, it informs you of the number of lies you've been told like when you have to confront the number of lies around this the system the school system and all these pretty things about how it's the cornerstone of democracy when it's really one of the most anti-democratic things that has ever been lodged in the United States when you're told that it's been instrumental in kind of making us more educated and more peaceful and all those things you start seeing the lies behind that it makes you a more free thinking person so i'm glad you you found it i'm glad i found it i'm glad we can keep sharing it with other people um I wish it was a movement. I wish that it was a movement of people all seeing that at the same time, though. Absolutely. Well, Chris, I really want to thank you for joining me today. It was a pleasure and uh, really love the discussion. Yeah. Yeah. And you should come to my show sometimes, too. We'll do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'd love it. And for everyone who wants to find, you know, go to citizenstuart.com or go to brightbeamnetwork.com where you can find all the wonderful local and regional news sites, Citizen Ed, amongst others. Chris Stewart, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a great one. You too.